Welcome to the third season of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. I am the founder, host, and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. This ministry is here to teach you Bible truth. Teaching truth allows you to grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. I sometimes read entire books in the Bible so you can know the story, not just the scripture. I also teach a series about a certain subject, so I want you to invite family and friends. Get your Bibles, grab a pen and paper so you can take notes. Now sit back, relax, and learn Bible truth. Hi, Bible Truth Learners. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Today is Monday, January the 17th, and it happens to be Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. Hey, I honor the man because of his work. Yes, because of his, uh, the intensity, the, the sincerity, and the integrity of his work and all that he accomplished. Because a lot of things that are or were made affordable today for people of color is because of him. But this message is not about him. It's about Jesus, the savior of the world. Now I know I promised that I would share episode five today. And let me tell you, it's been a struggle because I have worked seven days straight. This is a day off for me. But when it comes to the word of God, I promise that I would do better if I make a commitment, whether it is verbal or whether it is in writing and it's pertaining to God or his work, I will do it no matter how I feel. So I just had to pray and ask God to give me the strength to endure today. So we have a lot of information to cover today. And we left off at the end of episode four, talking about another sign in particular that according to the Bible, immediately after we see this sign that we all can confirm with certainty, that Jesus will be returning again. And we are going to talk about that one particular sign throughout this entire episode, episode five. Okay. And for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, because I know that I get listeners for the first time, every time I upload an episode, I advise you to go back and listen to episode one, which is the foundation of this series. Listen to episode two, three, and four. And then come back and listen to five. But if you want to listen to five first before you listen to the previous four, that's fine. That's fine. But since we have a lot of ground to cover, I don't want to belabor the fact anymore or any longer. Oh my goodness. We are going to talk a little bit about history because that is very important. Because if you don't know the history, you won't know the signs that are exponentially growing so that we can see what Jesus Christ, our Lord was talking about that uh, signs that we would see more of. Okay. Now this one particular sign has a lot to do with history. So put your history hats on and let's get started. So I want you, um, to think about one day before the uh, expiration of the British mandate over Palestine. This was in May 14th of 1948. Hundreds of people spilled into the streets surrounding the Tel Aviv Museum. Inside that museum stood a podium flanked by two banners 
bearing the star of David, not King David, saints, I will explain in a few. And in between those two banners hung a picture of Theodore Herzl. He was the founder of the modern Zionist movement. Now, what made the museum so popular that day was the overflow crowd came to hear a man named David Ben-Gurion. Okay, David Ben-Gurion. And if you know the history of David Ben-Gurion, you know exactly who he is. Now, when he spoke, Mr. Ben-Gurion read the Israeli Declaration of Independence, a document officially declaring the establishment of a Jewish state named Israel. I want you guys to embed that state in your minds right now. Israel, that same day, the United States recognized this declaration and the nation of Israel came back into existence for the first time in nearly 2000 years. Now, Mr. Ben-Gurion, he went on to become Israel's first prime minister. Yes, that's who he is. He was Israel's first prime minister. Now the banners that flanked him became the official flag of the new nation and the Tel Aviv Museum. It was renamed Independence Hall. Now to the world, May 14, 1948 is just another notable date from the 20th century. Now, what I want you to do is conduct a poll of modern historians, because I have, and I'll bet you your last dollar that most of them will rank the Great Depression, the two world wars, the Cold War, and numerous other 20th century events as much more significant. Now, few, if any, will mention the birth or the rebirth of Israel. Now, the restoration of Israel as a nation is more than a footnote in history. And it's not just one of the most significant events of the 20th century. It's one of the most significant events in all of history. And not because I say so. It's because thousands of years before it happened, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, and the God of Isaac declared it to be. Now, Israel is literally fulfilled Bible prophecy in our time. But it's more than that. It is much more than that, saints. Because Jesus said the generation that witnesses the restoration of Israel will also witness his second coming. Now, need I say that again? Jesus said the generation that witnesses the restoration of Israel will also witness his second coming. Now, anyone who says God doesn't perform miracles anymore simply hasn't been paying attention to what's going on throughout history because the modern state of Israel is a miracle in itself. Less than four decades after the crucifixion, the Romans put down the final Jewish insurrection in Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple and they caught it their conquered Jewish slaves to the furthest corners of a vast empire. The Romans renamed the area Palestine and considered the nation of Israel dead forever. Now, those who see all the fighting going on between Israel and Palestine, let me tell you this. The Bible says that God gave that land to Israel. I don't need to say anymore. 
Israel is fighting for a land that is theirs. It is rightfully theirs because God gave it to them. Now, century after century passed by and the Jewish people continued to live in exile. They were scattered among the nations of the world. We even, we have Jewish people living in every nation on the planet, but in the late 19th century, something changed. A new movement called Zionism prompt thousands of Jews to immigrate to the land of their ancestors. It started with a trickle, a few thousand here and a few thousand there, then tens of thousands. Then Hitler's Holocaust occurred and a trickle turned into a torrent. After the horrors of the Nazi death camps, Many Jews viewed the creation of a Jewish state as a basic matter of survival. The end result was the Israeli Declaration of Independence and the creation of a modern day Israel. Now, despite the mighty Roman Empire's best efforts, despite centuries of rampant anti-Semitic persecution, despite Stalin Hitler, the Jewish people miraculously retained their distinct religious, racial, and cultural identity for centuries while living as exiles among the nations of the world. And today, the nation of Israel stands again. Now, this is all about the state of Israel that will determine the second coming of our Messiah, Christ Jesus. Okay, so I want you to pay close attention. Why do the Jewish people thrive to this day? While other conquered ancient people assimilated among the nations, where are the, let's say, where are the Hittites? Hmm? Where are the Amorites? Where are the, Ed the Edomites, the Jebusites, and the Philistines? Now, I can tell you this. There's only one explanation as to why we can't find any of them. The Jewish people are still around for one reason and one reason only because the God of Israel made a promise to Abraham that his descendants would number more than the stars in the sky. That's written in Genesis chapter 15, verse five. The same creator promised Solomon that he would never abandon the people of Israel. That's why. And that's written in first Kings 16, uh, first King, let me see chapter six, verse 13. And guess what? He made another promise through his prophets over and over again. God promised to bring his people out of their long exile and back into the land of Israel. And that's exactly what he did. Uh-huh. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God promised to return his people home to Israel following a long worldwide exile. Now, in the book of Isaiah, God promised to bring the Jewish exiles back into the land of Israel from east and west and north and south. Now, from the furthest corners of the earth, he also promised the Jewish people would survive and thrive despite the hardships that they faced. That's in Isaiah chapter 43 verses 1 through 13. I want you to write down the scriptures that I'm calling out saints so that you can study them later. So Isaiah 43 is not an isolated case saints. The Bible makes this same claim countless times. Thousands of years ago, God promised to call his people from among the nations. That's in Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 28. He promised to call his people from the furthest corners of the earth. That's in Isaiah 11, verse 12. 
and he promised to call his people from north, south, east, and west. That's in Psalms 107.3. And this is exactly what he did. Every single one of us is an eyewitness to the modern miracle of Israel. Almost everyone knows the story of how God used Moses to deliver the Jewish people from Egyptian bondage. But thousands of years ago, the Bible predicted that a day will come when people will no longer refer to God or to the God of Israel as the one who rescued his people from the land of Egypt. Instead, they will refer to him, refer to God as the one who brought his people back into the land of Israel from all the countries in the world where he had exiled them. Now that's written in the prophet of the book of the prophet Jeremiah chapter 16. Just read the entire chapter. Now throughout the old Testament, God made this promise. He promised to bring his people home and display his holiness to the nations. That's written in Ezekiel chapter 20 verses 41 and 42. He promised to bring the remnant of his flock back into the land of Israel from countries where he had driven them. That's written in Jeremiah 23 verse 3. God promised to welcome them home from the lands where they were scattered. That's written in Ezekiel 20, 34. He promised to restore them to the land of Israel from distant lands. That's in Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 10 and verse 2. And God promised those scattered among the nations, his people would never forget him. And he would bring them back into the land of Israel. Zechariah 10, 9. Now, are you keeping up so far, saints? It, this is history, but it's true history. This is a promise that God made as early as the days of Moses. Now, let me finally read a scripture. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 30, I'm going to read verses three through five. This is the New Living Translation. God says, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. He will have mercy on you and gather you back from all the nations where he has scattered you. Even though you are banished to the ends of the earth, the Lord your God will gather you from there and bring you back again. The Lord your God will return you to the land that belonged to your ancestors. So the Palestinians over there trying to fight Israel for some land. Let me tell you something. You better side with Israel. God promised Israel that land. Let me read um, the last verse again. The Lord your God will return you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will possess that land again. Okay. Always side with Israel. Okay. Now, God kept his promise and his proof is in the modern nation of Israel. So not only did God promise to bring his people from among the nations and back into the land, but he also told us a specific way in which he would do it. God promised that Israel would blossom agriculturally and fill the whole world with its fruit. That's in Isaiah 27, 6. And this actually happened, saints. Today, the tiny nation of Israel, a desert wasteland less than a century ago, is one of the world's leading fresh citrus producers and a net exporter of more than 40 variety of fruit. Now, God repeated this promise through the prophet Ezekiel, saying his people would re-enter the land, produce much fruit, and be more prosperous than before. That's in Ezekiel 36, verses 8 through 
11. Now, more than 2,500 years before it happened, the prophet Isaiah predicted God would bring forth the nation of Israel in a single day. He likened it to a woman who gives birth in an instant without labor pains. That's in Isaiah 66 verses 7 through 9. So yes, when David Ben-Gurion read the Israeli Declaration of Independence on May 14, 1948, the United States formally recognized the new Jewish state that same day. A new nation had come into existence in a single day, just as Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, had foretold it. Twice the Bible predicted that when God's people returned, Israel and Judah, who once were enemies now, would no longer be rivals. Through the prophet Isaiah, he said the two would be united. That's in Isaiah eleven thirteen. Just as we see today with the modern state of Israel, God repeated this proclamation through the prophet Ezekiel, stating that the new nation will be one kingdom, no longer divided. Ezekiel 37, verse 22. Now, what are the odds that the people of a conquered nation would be scattered among the nations of the world, yet retain their distinct racial culture and religious identity in the face of unprecedented persecution for almost 2,000 years? Huh? What are the odds? Yet, that's the history of the Jewish people, and God foretold it through the Old Testament prophets. Hallelujah. Now, in fact, God says the existence of the Jewish people in the land of Israel is evidence that he is the one and only true God. God said it in the Holy Bible, not me. My job is to repeat it. So I want you to take down, um, um, or, or let's say this, let's, let's do a challenge to the unbelievers of this world. Can their idol gods foretell such things to happen in the future, huh? Can any of them predict what will happen tomorrow? Isaiah 41, 824 says this. I can tell you this. And look, I'm not trampling on people. I'm just trampling on the teachings they are listening to. Elijah Muhammad, because I have him on video saying it. Elijah Muhammad, who uh, founded the nation of Islam and turned it all black, he claimed to have met a man in Chicago in the 1960s now, not 2000 years ago, in the 1960s, I was born in the 1960s, who said he was God. His name was Farah Muhammad and uh, prompt him or encouraged him or inspired him to write a message to the black man. Now in that book, and I have that book, it says that, um, and this, and I'm a paraphrase through here. Elijah Muhammad was talking about our government, the United States government, who, who is crooked, by the way, um, said that they were going to create some type of satellite disc. And he didn't say those words exactly, but that's what he was trying to talk about. He was talking about a satellite dish in the, in uh, that would circle the universe. And this actually would create cell phones and internet service and, uh, and, and some other stuff. And he said, this will never happen. In other words, he was saying that Allah told him that will never happen. Well, anyway, it did happen. And remember what Moses said, that which the prophet says that do not come to pass did not come from God. That prophet have spoken this presumptuously and you don't have to fear him. So this man was definitely a false prophet. So what he did was remove that, that, that statement out of that book message to the black man. He removed it. 
Uh -huh. When it came to pass, he removed it. Not only was his statement false, his statement contradicted what he said. Now, I don't want to stay on that long because this ain't about him. But I, I'm telling you, when we talked about in a previous episode, Jesus said, be aware of false prophets. That's another sign of his return. We have to be aware of false prophets. OK, now, just like Isaiah 41, 8 through 24 says that no either God can can do what the true and living God can do. They can't do what the God of Israel can do and has done. He foretold the exile of his people centuries in advance. And likewise, he proclaimed their return. That's the, the God of Israel did that. Now, God promised to bring his people back into the land of Israel. And he did. But some of you may so, say, so what? What does this have to do with the second coming of Jesus? Where well, I read it previously when we started this episode. It's a sign because other prophecies um, prophecies yet to be fulfilled are intimately connected with God's promise to bring his people back into the land. In fact, the prophets are clear about God's plan and what he has in store. Ezekiel 37 is a good example. It reveals that something monumental will happen soon after the return of God's people to the land of Israel. Mm-hmm. Getting it. It's getting good, ain't it, saints? Now, the Messiah will arrive. To set up his everlasting kingdom. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied this in chapter 37 verses 24 through, through 28. Through the prophet Hosea, God said the people of Israel will go a long time without a king. Sacrifices, sacred pillars, or priests. Then they will return to the land and seek their God and Messiah in the last days. Hosea 3, 4 through 5. Mm-hmm. Now, did you notice when God says they will return to the land? Huh? That's what I'm talking about. They will return to the land in the last days. This is an Old Testament reference to the end times saints and the seven year period of tribulation or the great tribulation, I must say. Now, through the prophet Joel or either Joel, however you want to say it. God promised to gather the armies of the world in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, at the time when God restores Judah and Jerusalem, bringing his people back from among the nations where they were scattered in Joel chapter three, verses one and two. In other words, God will gather the armies of the world in the valley of Jehoshaphat in our day. And in our time, because we are witnesses to the restoration of the nation of Israel. So I guess some of you want to know, what is the Valley of Jehoshaphat? Now, it's literally translated as the valley where Yahweh judges. The valley where Yahweh judges. And it references the future gathering of the world's armies at a place most people are familiar with. It's called Armageddon. You know, people run away from that when they hear it. They run away from from uh, the book of Revelation. But I don't know why you run it. If you in Christ, honey, we can rejoice. In other words, not long after the restoration of Israel, the battle of Armageddon will take place and God will judge the world. Now, through the prophet Isaiah, God promised the the desert will bloom. That's in Isaiah 35, verse one. This is the same promise that God made in Isaiah 27, six. And it occurs when God's people are restored to the land of Israel. Then in successive verses, 
we learn that the blooming of the desert will be followed by the Lord returning to destroy Israel's enemies. That's in Isaiah 35 verses two through four. That's why I say the, the United States better make sure they, they remain an ally with Israel now, because you, you let me read the latter part of this again, or I'm really paraphrasing Isaiah 35 two four. It says that, um, in, in successive verses. Now we learn that the blooming of the desert will be followed by the Lord returning to destroy Israel's enemies. Okay. And we don't want to be an enemy to Israel. Now through the prophet Jeremiah, God promised to gather the remnant of his flock from the nations where he had driven them and bring them back into the land. Jeremiah 23 verses three and four. Then God promised to raise up a, 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 a righteous descendant of King David, a king who will rule the land with wisdom. That's in Jeremiah 23 verses five and six. So this is the long awaited Messiah that the prophet Jeremiah was talking about. So when will he come to rule? When the people are back in the land, according to the prophet Jeremiah in 23 verses seven and eight. So God promised to gather his exiles and form them into a strong nation. Then he promised to rule from Jerusalem as their king forever. That's in Micah chapter four, verses six through seven. And he promised to, that the Messiah would rule forever. Now this promise to restore Israel immediately follows a Messianic passage describing the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's the same chapter with the famous verse, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning, pruning hooks and nation will not fight nation nor will there be war anymore. That's in Micah chapter four, verse three. I'm sorry, saints, I didn't tell y'all I was about to quote a scripture. This is a radically different world where no one lives in fear. That's the world we are going to live in, saints, those who are in Christ. A world of unprecedented peace and prosperity where God rules the nations. And God clearly states that this time period will follow the restoration of his people in the land of Israel. Now, the book of Isaiah reveals even more evidence regarding the timing of Israel's restoration. Over and over again, the prophet Isaiah relayed God's promise to bring back the exiled people of Israel and form a new nation. Now, in Isaiah, it is of particular interest in chapter 11. Okay. In it, not only does God promise to restore the nation of Israel and raise its flag among the nations, Isaiah 11 and 12, but he makes additional promises as well. What are these promises? That the wolf and the lamb will lie together, that leopards will lie down with goats, that even a baby can play with a cobra and not be bitten. That's in Isaiah chapter 11, verses six through nine. Because the heir to David's throne, which is Christ Jesus, will rule over the nations, transforming the world into a place of peace and tranquility. That is in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. God said this will happen, saying, so if God said it, it will happen. After his people are regathered from distant lands and the ends of the earth, Isaiah 11, verses 11 and 12, 
and after Israel is reborn as a single unified nation. That's in Isaiah eleven thirteen. In other words, the restoration of Israel as a nation will immediately precede the millennial kingdom of, of Christ Jesus. Now, shortly after its rebirth, Jesus will return to earth and rule from Jerusalem. Now, at this point, you have to be convinced, saints. But John said we were in the last hours nearly 2,000 years ago. That's in 1 John 2.18. The second coming may well occur after the Jews return to Israel, but it might be a thousand years after they return. So are we sure he's coming in our lifetime? So what makes me so sure of this? Jesus said, so that's what makes me sure. Remember, Jesus said to look for certain signs. And when you see them, he said to look up and get ready for his return. So a long interval of time between the appearance of these signs and his coming just wouldn't make sense to most people. It would be misleading at best. And Jesus isn't in the business of misleading people. But fortunately, we don't have to speculate this. Because Jesus flat out told us the restoration of Israel will immediately precede his return. Now, throughout the Old Testament, the fig tree is often used as a symbol for the nation of Israel. For example, God compared the people of Israel to ripe figs. In Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, he also compared the Babylonian exiles to good figs. In Jeremiah 25, verses 5 through 7. Now, in a similar way, Jesus used the fig tree as a symbol for Israel. In one of his parables, you, we often know that Jesus spoke in parables. Jesus taught about a man who planted a fig tree in his garden. Day after day, he came to the tree to see if there, there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, the man told his gardener, it's been three years and there hasn't been a single fig. So cut it down. We can use the space for something else. But the gardener said, I want you to listen. The gardener said, give it one more chance. Leave it for one more year. I'll give it, you know, I'll give it plenty of attention. Now, if we get figs next year, that's good. If not, cut it down. That's in Luke chapter 13, verses six through nine. So what's the meaning of this parable? Up to that time, Jesus had publicly spread his message in Israel for three years. He was performing miracles like the prophet said the Messiah would do. He was exhibiting unprecedented knowledge of the scriptures that no one else at that time had ever um, produced. And he started offering ample evidence of his claim to be the long awaited Messiah. Yet, despite three years of testimony, Israel refused to believe and accept him as the one God has sent. Now, according to this parable, Jesus agreed to give Israel one more year to bear fruit. Jesus told this parable about a year before his crucifixion. Now, if the fig tree, which represented Israel, failed to bear fruit following the extra year, that she would be destroyed. So, of course, we know from history that this did happen. Israel rejected Jesus as the Messiah and less than 40 years later, that was in AD 70, AD 70, Rome destroyed Israel. Now, in another example, Jesus was, he was on his way to Jerusalem when he encountered a, another fig tree 
on the side of the road. He was hungry. He searched his branches for some figs to eat, yet he found nothing but leaves. So Jesus cursed the fig tree saying, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree had withered away. That story, or let's say that parable is in Matthew chapter 21 verses 8. 18 and 19. So do you think Jesus was, was really upset with a fig tree? Uh-uh. Now there's a, a, another story that can come out of that too. We need to watch what we say because we can either curse our, our events in our lives or we can bless it. Yeah. But Jesus was referring to Israel. So we, we can't just think that Jesus was upset about a fig tree because you know, he is God almighty God in the flesh. So if he really wanted to eat, he could ate. Now, this story had a much deeper meaning to it. Just like the parable in Luke 13, the fig tree and its fruit are symbols of the nation of Israel and its rejection of the Messiah. In this case, the fig tree, which represents Israel, failed to have faith in Christ as the Messiah, even though its leaves indicated it was in season. Meaning the appointed time for the coming of the Messiah. Jesus all often said that you don't even see the signs of the times. They didn't even realize who he was, even though the prophets of old explained in detail what the Messiah would do when he came. So due to its lack of fruit, talking about Israel, the fig tree had withered, indicating that Israel would soon be destroyed as a nation. And they were. Jesus said, when we see the fig tree, talking about Israel, grow leaves and sprout, meaning regenerate, we should pay close attention because when that happens, he will return within a single generation. Now, Jesus said this. Now, when the disciples asked Jesus to reveal the signs of his coming, and this is in Matthew 24, beginning at verse three, they asked Jesus to reveal the signs of his coming and the end of the age. Jesus responded with a detailed description of signs and events that would transpire just prior to his return. But when he concluded his description, he told them when these things would happen, he didn't give them a specific date or time. No, cause no man knows the day or the hour. Instead, he told them to look for one particular sign. And when that sign appeared, they would know he was right at the door and that he would be ready to return. And so the sign is the nation of Israel. Now speaking to his disciples, Jesus once again used the fig tree as a symbol for the nation of Israel. He said, just as you know that summer is near when you see the leaves sprout on the fig tree, when you see these events happening, you know the time is near. That's in Matthew 24 verses 32 through 33. Now Jesus used a similar analogy when speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said they could recognize the dark clouds in the sky and tell that the rain was coming, but they couldn't recognize the signs of the times. In similar fashion, most people can look at blooming plants in the spring and know that summer is right around the corner or summer is right next door. But when Jesus is explaining the signs of his coming and the end of the age, he isn't simply using the fig tree in bloom as an analogy of how to notice signs. He's telling them it's the sign. That's what he's saying. He's saying this is the sign. 
Just as the fig tree of Israel withered and died when it failed to recognize the Messiah, the fig tree of Israel will regenerate and sprout its leaves again just prior to his second coming. In other words, Israel will be in season once again, ready to receive her Messiah. In fact, Jesus assures us that once God's people are back in the land of Israel, which they are, we've reached the generation of his return. He says the generation witnessing the restoration of Israel as a nation will not die out before all the events he described take place. That's in Matthew 24, 34. And what are the events he described? The great tribulation his second coming and the end of the age. Now the reestablishment of Israel as a nation is the foremost sign to our generation that the return of Jesus is imminent. It's been six decades saints since Israel was once again declared a nation against all worldly odds. Now people who were alive when Israel became a nation are still around, but time is running short. It's running out saints. So who knows how long we have, but it won't be hundreds of years of signs gathering, you know, momentum. It will be within a generation, whatever that means. I don't know. Jesus is definitely returning. The fig tree is in bloom and we are the generation he spoke of. Just as Peter prophesied, there's no shortage of people, you know, willing to scoff at the idea that Jesus is returning. You know, where's Jesus? That's what they saying. You know, didn't you, didn't they say this, you know, 2000 years ago? Yeah. Jesus coming back, making a mockery out of us. Keep making a mockery, but you will be left behind. The fact that the Jewish people are back in the land of Israel is evidence enough. So God promised to bring his people back into the land and he did. So as I close, saints, let me remind you of this uh, information that I shared throughout this episode. This is a major sign of the second coming of the Messiah, one of the biggest of all times. For 1878 years, Christians could not point to this sign, not this particular sign, the restoration of Israel, but we can. And don't you find that interesting? But while the nation of Israel is an important sign, it's not the only sign. The Bible also said that the Jewish people would reclaim a particular city. And guess what? Jesus said when that happens, the end of the age will soon come. So saints, I'm going to end this right here. I thank you for tuning in. I want you to stay on air until you receive that invitation to accept Christ. Anyone under the sound of my voice that's listening, stay on air so that you can hear information on how you can accept the risen Christ and additional information on how you can contact me directly. And I will definitely respond. So episode six will be shared next weekend. I don't know if it will be Saturday or Sunday, but I will share it. So until next time, saints, peace out. If you don't know the risen Savior, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Saints, tomorrow is not promised to you. There will be a time where Jesus Christ will no longer be available to you, and those who call upon the Lord will not be saved. So all you have to do is repeat after me. Go to Romans chapter 10. And we are going to read verses 9 and 10. 
you can include verse 11 so that it can give you understanding of verse 9 and 10. So saints, God made his salvation plan simple for every man, every walk of life, every ethnicity, every color of skin to come to him and be reconciled to him through the blood of Jesus. So let's say this prayer in all sincerity. Father God, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. And your word says, if I confess this, that I am saved. So Father God, I believe that Jesus is your son, and he is Lord. And I confess with my mouth that he is seated at your right hand because you raised him from the dead. Amen. Saints, if you made that confession and you were sincere, you should feel a change in your heart. That is the seal of the Holy Spirit, and you are sealed unto the day of redemption, and no man can take your salvation away from you. So, saints, I want you to join a faith-based teaching church. Contact Learning Bible Truth. You can continue to listen to Learning Bible Truth until you find a church home. Contact us and tell us what area you live in and we will conduct a search and tell you what church is teaching Bible truth and direct you to that church so that you can be baptized. Yes, you are not saved by water baptism. Water baptism is symbolic to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you come up out of that water, you come up as a new man, but you are saved before you get baptized. So saints, I hope that you were sincere. Play this tape for family and friends. Lead men to the risen Christ for salvation because there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And that is the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this message, you can contact us by emailing talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. If you would like to sow a seed in this growing ministry, you may access the front page on the podcast you are listening to and click on the support button. Or you can cash out the ministry at dollar sign Dr. Kamala D. That is at dollar sign, capital D, lowercase r, capital C, lowercase a-m-a-l-e, capital D, and donate any amount. And remember, God loves a cheerful giver, and so do we. So until next time, believers, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not the word of man. We walk by faith and not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, serving you with Christ Jesus, our Lord, in peace and love. I thank each of you for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon. Peace out.